Welcome to the Alcorn Orlando Sermon Podcast. We exist to help people grow in Christ, share the gospel, and serve the community. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy today's message. Let's go ahead and open our Bibles to our passage today, which is from Exodus 20. Exodus is the second book in the Old Testament. It should be in the front of your Bible. Our passage today comes from the Ten Commandments, one of the most famous passages in all of Scripture. We're going to go ahead and read the first 11 verses. Let me read it for us now. Then God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. Do not have other gods besides me. Do not make an idol for yourself, whether in the shape of anything in the heavens above or on the earth below, or in the waters under the earth. Do not bow and worship to them, and do not serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the father's iniquity, the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing faithful love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands. Do not misuse the name of the Lord your God, because the Lord will not leave anyone unpunished who uses his name. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You are to labor six days and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You must not do any work. You, your son or daughter, your male or female servant, your livestock or the resident alien who is within your city gates. For the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything in them in six days. Then he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and declared it holy. Thanks be to God for his word. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we praise your name this morning. We praise you that you are not a silent, unknowable God, but have revealed yourself to us through your Son, as we read in the Holy Scriptures. We ask now that your Spirit would be upon us during this time, that your word would be proclaimed faithfully, that you would awaken our ears and open our hearts to all you have to teach us. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Please have a seat. Brothers and sisters, the pandemic of 2020 is an event that affected us all. As it was happening, we all started asking questions. How will we go to work or school if we can't go outside? Are my friends and relatives safe? How will we go shopping for the things we need? What will we do for fun if we can't go out? How will my business survive? We had so many questions. But after the pandemic had been raging for a while, there was another question that started to come up on Google searches around the country. It hit an all-time high in 2021. The question was, why am I so tired? Now, this seems a little counterintuitive. You don't have to commute anymore. You don't have to worry about what you'll wear. You're not going out constantly to different functions. So why are you tired? We thought, Going out was making us tired, but staying at home made us tired too. We thought that interacting with people all day made us tired, but it turned out that being alone was tiring too. There are so many things that make us tired. And now the pandemic has passed, but many of us still feel tired. We're tired because of our jobs. Even if our jobs are not physically strenuous, they still make us tired. 
We're tired because we binge watch TV shows. We're tired if we fail to feed our caffeine addiction properly. We're tired because last night we scrolled ourselves to sleep, ingesting something we know is meaningless. All of these things make us tired, and we live lives marked by exhaustion, and we don't know what to do about it. And into this reality, this endless cycle of sleep, wake up, work, side hustle, entertain ourselves, go back to sleep. Into this cycle of exhaustion, God gives us a command, a command we see in the fourth commandment, a command to rest. Anyone who thinks the Ten Commandments are a burden on us is not paying attention. He's commanding us to take a day every week and to rest. Before we jump into the passage, though, I want to acknowledge a few things about the Sabbath. If you look at different Christian people throughout history, as well as Christians from different denominations today, you will find disagreements about the Sabbath. There's a small group of Christians that believe that we today should continue to observe the Sabbath on the seventh day of the week, much like Israel did. There's a second, larger group of Christians who believe that the Sabbath has moved from the seventh day to Sunday. And with that, that all the obligations of the seventh day Old Testament Sabbath have been transferred to Sunday. And actually, that was the viewpoint of the church I grew up in. There's a third group, however, that would say that the Sabbath day, as we see it in the Ten Commandments, was fulfilled in Christ. So we're not called to observe the Sabbath in the same way Israel was. And this is more where our church would fall. And there's several reasons why we believe this. For one, in Exodus 31, the Lord tells Moses that the Sabbath is a sign of his covenant with Israel. But we know that Christ brought a new covenant with different signs. And in Colossians 2, Paul tells us that the dietary laws, the festivals, and the Sabbath were only shadows, and that Christ is the substance. Now, to be clear, this is not something we should be arguing about with other believers. Colossians 2.16 instructs us explicitly not to let anyone judge us regarding these things. And I think the implication would be for us not to judge others either. Similarly, Romans 14 verse 1 tells us to welcome anyone who's weak in the faith, but don't argue about disputed matters. And if you keep reading, Paul tells us that considering one day more holy than another is one of those disputed matters that we're not to argue about. So don't argue with people about this. But there's one more text I want to mention, one of the most important texts in our understandings of, uh, our understanding of the New Testament Sabbath are the words of Christ himself in Mark 2.27, where he says, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. What we celebrate on Sunday is not meant to be a list of rules and regulations. That's how the Pharisees wanted it to be. No, it was intended to be a blessing to us, not something that would stress you out, like, oh no, I hope I don't accidentally break a rule, but as a gift. And look at the command in Exodus 20, verse 8. It starts with the word, remember. Remember the Sabbath day. So today we want to take a look at two things we're intended to remember when we remember the Sabbath day. We're called to remember our Creator, through our rest, and we're called to remember our Redeemer through corporate worship. Let's start with remember your Creator. So 
The command is to keep the Sabbath day holy in verse 8. And then verse 9 explains how to keep it holy by not doing any work. And this is grounded in the creation account. God rested on the seventh day, so we also rest following his example. But wait a second. What's so bad about work? Does this mean that working is somehow unholy? Something we should avoid doing if we want to be holy? It kind of sounds that way, but that's not what Scripture teaches. Work is not unholy. You know, actually, in Genesis 2.15, we read that in the Garden of Eden, God gave Adam work to do. He had a job to work the garden and watch over it. And this was before sin ever entered the world. So work isn't something that came after the fall. Work didn't come into the world because of sin. Work was part of God's original good creation. Now, sin did make our work a lot harder. That's part of the curse of the fall we see in Genesis 3. But the work itself is a good thing. So if work itself is not an unholy thing, why do we stop on the Sabbath? Why does making the Sabbath day holy mean ceasing from work if work isn't bad? Well, we rest because work is good, but work can also be dangerous. One of the dangers is that we hate our work. Maybe this is you. Maybe you look at the work you do every day and you just feel deflated even thinking about it. In fact, just by me mentioning that you need to go to work tomorrow makes you kind of cringe inside. Maybe your job doesn't bring you any joy at all. It's nothing but drudgery. For whatever reason, though, you're stuck in it right now. Maybe your boss is terrible and you dread interacting with them. Maybe you don't like your coworkers or they don't like you. And I've been there, brothers and sisters. I've had jobs that I just dreaded getting out of bed in the morning. This feeling may describe some people in this room. But there are other people in the room who have the opposite situation. They love their job. Maybe this is you. Your job gives you immense joy and satisfaction. You love going to work every day, or at least most days. The problem is you may love it a little too much. Your job can easily become your identity, can't it? And when people ask you where you work, you tell them the firm or the school or the bank where you work, and there's a little bit of pride in your voice. Maybe you're a leader at work. You love calling the shots. You love the way people look up to you and come to you for help. Maybe you have a clear and careful career trajectory planned, and you're willing to do whatever it takes to make sure you reach partner or get tenure or get into management. The problem is work is good, but making work into idle is not good. It's so easy to do this. Do you always have time for your career? but not so much for church? Do you make sure everything you do at work is done to the highest possible standard? But when you serve at church, the standards are not so high. And so we have two ways that work can go very, very wrong. We really hate our work or when we really love our work. Brothers and sisters, have you ever gotten up from your chair and walked into another room to do something? But when you got there, you couldn't remember why you came. You might be embarrassed or feel like you're losing your grip, but this experience is actually quite common. Scientists call it the doorway effect. In 2011, 
scientists at Notre Dame University did a study where they had participants put objects into a box and then change location and try to remember what objects were in the box. And it turned out that no matter how far you walked with the box, if you went through a doorway, your chances of remembering went down. The doorway effect, the change in context, somehow makes it harder to remember. When you get up and go in a different room, your context changes, and you end up asking yourself, why did I get up? Why am I here? But this can happen to us at work as well. We go into that building or the place we, a place you know, that we love, maybe, or that we hate, or maybe a place we don't really care about. But we get into that different context, and we can't remember why we're there. We get into a different context, and our purpose gets lost. Brothers and sisters, when we do our work, we're doing it for God. That's our purpose. We're doing it as unto the Lord. Our work is a mission that God has given us. When the king sends you on a mission, you should never get so wrapped up in the mission that you forget about the king. And when we take our Sabbath each week, we pause and we remember why we're doing everything. You see, the two groups I mentioned a bit ago, the people who hate their job and the people who love their job so much, these two groups actually both have the same problem. They're at their job and they forgot why they're there. They forgot that no matter how you feel about what you're doing, you're not doing it for yourself, you're doing it for God. If you dislike your job, you know, I'm not telling you not to look for something better. I'm not telling you you have to stay in a situation you hate. Your current job may not be what God calls you to do for the rest of your life, but it is what he's calling you to do right now. So do it with excellence. As long as you have the job, do it with excellence. And on the Sabbath, stop your work and remind yourself why you're doing this. You're doing it to glorify God. And if you're someone who loves your job, you probably already are trying for excellence, but you still forgot why you're doing it. If you simply love the admiration of colleagues and the satisfaction of being in charge and the awesome places your career is going, in the end, you're not doing this for God, you're doing it for yourself. And on the Sabbath, you need to stop your work and remind yourself that your life and your work are for his glory, not your own. Your work is not your identity. Your identity is a child of God. Your work is not your provider. God is your provider. What your work is, though, is your mission. And on the Sabbath, we stop to remember that. We rest and we remember our creator. We refocus and remember why we work during the rest of the week and who we're working for. Okay, so we talked about remembering our creator through rest. Let's talk about remembering our redeemer through worship. We saw in Exodus 20, verse 8, that the people of Israel... Israel are told to remember the Sabbath, and we see in verse 11 this command is explained, that it's because of creation, that God set this pattern in creation. And this is from the Ten Commandments, which we read in Exodus 20. But that's not the only place where the Ten Commandments are found in Scripture. Let's remember the history for a bit. After the children of Israel crossed the wilderness, they failed to enter the promised land, right? Remember, they sent out 12 spies on a recon mission to scout out the land. 
And 10 of those spies said, no way, we can't do this, they're too strong. While two spies said, Joshua and Caleb, right, said, yes, we can. We have to trust in God. But the people didn't listen to the two faithful spies. They doubted God, and as a punishment, they were not allowed to enter. They were sent back out to the wilderness, and they wandered for 40 years. Then God led them back through Moses to the promised land. But Moses wasn't going in with them. So before they went in, Moses gave them the law again, a second time. And the Greek word for this is Deuteronomy, second law. This is Moses' farewell address to the people he led out of Egypt. And he gives them the second, or he gives him, gives them the Ten Commandments a second time in Deuteronomy 5. If you have your Bible, flip over to Deuteronomy 5. When Moses gives the Ten Commandments to Israel a second time, they're almost exactly the same, with just minor differences. But in the case of the fourth commandment, the small differences are quite interesting. Let's look at Deuteronomy 5, starting with verse 12. Be careful to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. You are to labor six days and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Do not do any work. You, your son or daughter, your male or female slave, your ox or donkey, any of your livestock or the resident alien who lives within your city gates, so that your male and female slaves may rest as you do. Now, you may notice that Deuteronomy says slaves, while Exodus says servants. But that's just a translation issue. It's the same word in Hebrew in both places. But in Deuteronomy, Moses does say it twice. In verse 14, he seems to emphasize, hey, your servants need a day off. Remember, you came out of Egypt where you were oppressed. Now you're going into your own land. Don't become the oppressor. Let's keep reading. Verse 15. Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out of there with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. That is why the Lord your God has commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So the command it's the same, remember the Sabbath. But the reason Moses gives for it is different. In Exodus, it was remember your creator. But in Deuteronomy, it's remember God, your redeemer. Remember who delivered you from your situation in Egypt. And we can read that story in the first 15 chapters of Exodus, right? The story of oppression, of slavery, of constant, unending labor, never having rest. And then of God delivering them from their bondage with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, delivering them from that situation, and then saying to them, rest. The oppressed finally getting justice, the weeping finally turning to joy, the weary finally being told to rest. The Lord has become my salvation, the children of Israel sang when they escaped Pharaoh at the Red Sea. So, the Sabbath rest was a time for the children of Israel to remember their redemption, to remember their salvation. And now that Christ has come, we know that the redemption of the Israelites was pointing ahead to an even greater redemption, to the redemption of humanity, our own redemption. We were slaves to sin. And if you don't think the dominion of sin 
is as bad as slavery in Egypt, you don't understand the power of sin or the terrible destruction that it leads us to. Christ redeemed us from sin, from the power of death. He set us free through his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave. This is the ultimate redemption, brothers and sisters, which the Exodus was pointing to. And this is why we celebrate on the first day, Sunday, instead of on the seventh day. Now again, Romans 14 says clearly that we're not to argue about this, but it also says, let each one be fully convinced in his own mind. So it's important to know why. We celebrate together on the first day because we're remembering our redemption. We remember how our Savior conquered sin and death, and he rose victorious from the grave. All four gospel accounts are clear that they found the empty tomb on the first day of the week. So that's when we remember our redemption. And the Holy Spirit was poured out on Pentecost, also the first day of the week. And then Christians began to gather for teaching on the first day of the week, like in Acts 20, where Paul preaches his marathon sermon that goes on until midnight. We also know from 1 Corinthians 16, 2, that believers were meeting on the first day of the week. And then in Revelation 2, verse 10, John uses another word for the first day. He calls it the Lord's Day. And so, along with most Christians around the world and throughout history, we celebrate Sunday as the Lord's Day. On, the, on that day, we rest, not to try to fulfill the law, but because it's good for our souls. And we're not Pharisees about it. I grew up on a farm, and you can't tell the cows, sorry, it's Sunday, I'm resting, no food for you. And there are many professions which legitimately require Sunday work, like emergency medical workers, or firefighters, or law enforcement. And what if your boss requires you to work on Sunday? Well, if you're in a position to quit, I would consider it. But if you really need the job, what should you do? Well, for people in these situations where you have to work on Sunday, I would recommend taking another day of the week and designating that as a rest day. Sunday is better, but if you're working at the ER on Sunday, take Monday or another day as a day to set aside to cease your work, to remember your creator, and remember how you were redeemed. Imagine you were in prison. Imagine you were serving a long sentence yearning for the day you would be free, when you could walk outside again, go where you'd like, and do what you want. You're counting down the years. And then it's the months. And then the weeks and days. And then the day finally arrives. They open the prison door for you, and you walk out a free person. What a blessed deliverance. But then what? Then what? You've burned every bridge to your family. They're hurt so bad, they won't speak to you. Everything you owned was taken from you when you were arrested. The people who were your friends back when you were rolling in cash have moved on long ago. There's no one. You've got no money, no job, no place to live, no place to go. You've been delivered, all right, but you were delivered to nothing. But this is not the deliverance of our God. When he delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt, he did not deliver them into nothing. 
Exodus 7.16 says, the, in Exodus 7.16, the Lord says to Pharaoh, let my people go that they may worship me in the wilderness. He delivered them to worship. He delivered them as a community into an ongoing covenantal relationship with himself. He was bringing them to Canaan, the land flowing with milk and honey. And in that land, he gave them rest. Joshua 21, 44 tells us, the Lord gave them rest on every side, according to all he had sworn to their ancestors. Rest, finally. They were not delivered into nothing. They were delivered into rest. And brothers and sisters, we have been delivered from our sin and misery, where we were without hope, and we have also been delivered into something. We have not been delivered into brunch at a trendy restaurant with mimosas. We have not been delivered into sitting on the couch all day watching football. We've not been delivered until sleeping in, into sleeping until noon on Sunday. We too have been delivered into an ongoing relationship with God. We remember our redemption with worship. But who celebrates a great event by themselves? Who spends their best friend's birthday by sitting at home alone thinking about them? No, go to the party. We were delivered into a body of believers. Spend the Lord's day together with the body to celebrate your redemption by worshiping God, studying his holy scriptures, praying and fellowshipping with one another. When we say, remember your redeemer, there's no reason to remember him alone. That's not how he designed it to be. He delivered you into a body, a Sabbath rest where we celebrate Christ together. Because that's where we find our rest, brothers and sisters. We rest on the Lord's day to remember our creator, to remember why we work and who we work for. And we also rest to remember our redeemer who has purchased us with his blood. It's in him that we find our rest. And as we conclude, I want to bring up one more passage that has a lot to say about rest. Hebrews 4. It teaches that we enter the rest of Christ through belief in him. We enter that rest by resting from our own works, which means no longer trusting in our own righteousness to make us right with God, and by instead believing in Christ and trusting in Christ's righteousness. But Hebrews 4 is actually a warning passage. It's warning us not to be like the children of Israel who didn't listen to the faithful spies, Joshua and Caleb. And because of their unbelief, they couldn't enter into his rest. Today, Hebrews 4 says... Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Today, if you hear his voice, do you know what his voice is saying? His voice is saying in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Let's close our eyes now and bow our heads. If that's you today, if you haven't trusted in Christ, this is his offer to you, to believe in him and be given 
rest. We've all committed sins. Tell Christ right now in your heart that you repent of those sins, that you want to follow him, that you want to throw off the weariness, the struggle with sin, with failure and inadequacy, and rest in his promises. Every eye closed and every head bows. Following Christ is not easy. But there are so many brothers and sisters right here in this room who are walking the same road and will walk it with you. It's not easy, but it's so, so good. If that's you today, can I get a hand? If you want to commit your life to Christ for the first time today, can you wave at me? There's a brother here in the front row who will pray for you, can answer any of your questions that you might have. Is there anyone here today? For the rest of us here today, if you're a follower of Christ already, consider how you can rest on the Lord's day, how you can take the focus off the job that you may love or you may hate, but should never be the center of your being. And since you're here this morning, I know that you believe in gathering together with the saints to celebrate our redemption. But if that's not your habit, consider if there are changes you could make to make it more regular. Consider these in your heart as we pray together. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If it was a blessing to you, please consider visiting our website, outpouringorlando.com, to connect with us and to also give financial support. If you are ever in the Orlando area, we would love to serve and worship with you. Have a wonderful week.